The New Jersey Devils and Prudential Center, in partnership with Investors Bank and RWJ Barnabas Health, have launched the Donate a Plate, a virtual fundraiser benefiting Newark Working Kitchens. The initiative's beneficiary enlists local restaurants to deliver nutritious meals to vulnerable populations across Newark. Fans are encouraged to donate meals with the top fundraisers receiving a premium seating experience at a future Devils home game. You can donate now at NewJerseyDevils.com slash donate a plate. Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin, along with my good friend, my compadre, my partner in Speak of the Devils, Amanda Stein. Amanda, how are you? I'm doing well, Maddie. How are you? I love that we're on such like a hot streak of doing all these together. <laughs> it is fantastic. And, you know, I've been thinking, and we go back, it's coming up on, what, six months almost now. I mean, yep. we haven't quite gotten there since we paused. But it'll be here before you know it. But what's exciting on the other side is that's in the distance, distant past. But we're actually getting closer and closer to what we hope will be a restart for the New Jersey Devils, the 2021 season. And that's sort of kind of around the corner. And I'm excited about that. Well, you're so right, because, you know, we're really like we're at the end of August, pretty much. Right. Like We're pretty much at the end of August, yeah. which means September And that's preparing for the upcoming draft. So our lives get even busier than they normally are. So there's a lot to get excited about because we know we have a draft. We know we'll have free agency. So and I think it's going to come a lot faster than we think. And you're right. You know, I was talking to my cousin about it today. I've been up in Montreal um, for over five months now. It's it's just like mind blowing to me. that it's been that long. I don't know if it's felt that long because we've been so fortunate to, you know, work from home and create a lot of content and do a lot of podcasts. But when you really think about it, it's a long time um, that we've been away from the rink, but there's so much to be excited for, especially with the return to play. You know, the 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 hockey is flowing through the veins a lot more right now. <laughs> it certainly is. And on the devil's side, of course, we've got a new coach. Tom Fitzgerald was given the job, uh, taking the interim tag off as general manager. Lindy Ruff is on board. And now, as you said, we've got a draft coming up in free agency, but we know who the core guys are for the devils. And we're looking forward for the growth of Mackenzie Blackwood. And one thing that's been talked about a lot, and I know you and Chris Westcott recently spent some time with Craig Button that came up uh, in those conversations and other writers and reporters around the National Hockey League. And we've talked about it. The pipeline is filling yeah. and, and, and the base is there. And, and we know a lot of work had to be done to get that pipeline moving and, and get it filled. And there are a lot of exciting players coming on board. And, you know, uh, the future looks so bright. And, you know, the Devils are in the news constantly, it seems, about adding to that base. Absolutely. And it's, you know, the idea that like the the core of the team is so young and they're developing together, whether it's adding pieces like Jack last year working with Nico and you're sort of like piling on these building blocks. But the foundation of it is is very young in and of itself. And that just speaks to what a bright future, you know, is really ahead for the team, for us as people who cover the team and are with the team. It's really, really exciting. And, you know, talking to Craig Button a couple weeks ago, um, not only did we delve into the upcoming draft, but we talked a lot about the current team. And, you know, he says, um, you know, you look at the forwards right now, 
Nolan Foote is the perfect guy to have come in with the size and the talent with someone like Nico and Jack down the middle. And so you're right. The future's bright. It's really exciting. I cannot wait to, you know, see it all on ice. It's fun to talk about it, but to see it all come to fruition will just be awesome for a multiple, multiple reasons. Well, on today's show, we have two important members of the devil's future. One we've seen up close on a couple of occasions, almost made the team a few seasons ago, but we've had to wait now. Uh, and we're talking about Ty Smith, of course. And the other, the, the, the new kid on the block, if you will, we followed his career through Harvard. Uh, weren't sure what Riley Walsh would wind up doing. Would he play a senior year? Turns out nobody knows if there'll be a senior year. And he recently elects to sign with the Devils. And so two what the Devils feel are important parts of that defense, which we know the Devils have to focus on, are now in the fold. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, two two great guys, smaller guys um, with tons and tons of potential. You know, speaking to um, Ty just the last two years as he entered the system, even from year one to year two of training camp, you saw so much maturity and at the same time, you saw like almost like a wall come down a little bit because he was so, so reserved in that first year. Obviously, it can be a very intimidating thing being drafted and coming right into it all and you know having all these expectations. But I think slowly but surely, he's becoming, um, I don't even know how to say it, but just at ease with himself, mm -hmm. that his personality is starting to shine through a little bit. And with that ease probably comes, you know, uh, it's a lot easier to step into a role. Well, looking forward to getting to know him a little bit better and seeing what he'll bring to the table after a brilliant final year in junior with Spokane. And that, of course, is Ty Smith, but also looking forward to see what Riley Walsh can do as a professional as he is now a member of the Devils family. We get a chance on the show to speak with both young defensemen. We'll kick it off with the kid from Harvard, Riley Walsh, and his connections with the Devils. Great stories as we begin Speak of the Devils. And it is indeed a pleasure to welcome Riley Walsh to Speak of the Devils. Riley, Matt and Amanda here. Thanks very much for joining us. First off, let's offer our congratulations on signing the deal. And then secondly, I want to ask, how does a young man celebrate signing his first professional contract? Oh, well, first off, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Um, I, uh, my, the weekend, the whole thing was like a weekend thing because I knew that I was, I had made my decision to sign and it was finalized, but then it took like a day to get the contract and I knew they weren't releasing it till Monday. But so I was kind of just with my family and, and some friends. Um, we're on the water down here. Like we have a boat. So we kind of took that out on, on uh, Sunday or Saturday. I kind of forget the specific. <laughs> Everything part. blends together. Uh, at say, this nobody time, knows right? what day it is. <laughs> but one of those days we kind of, popped out and met some friends that uh, just kind of out on the water and just kind of, you know, enjoyed it and kind of sell. That was like the first celebration kind of thing. And then that was Saturday, I think. And then Sunday night we had a big cookout um, with kind of the neighborhood around here is like kind of family friends. Like we've grown up here. Um, it's a small kind of neighborhood. So we had kind of all those people around and um, it was really fun. And, um, all the dads telling some funny stories. It was a, it was a good night, just pretty casual stuff. And, and then Monday kind of, it broke online. And so that was pretty hectic. Um, 
social media wise. But other than that, it's been, it was pretty low key. Um, just hanging out with family and friends. Which is the best part of course, but how did you keep it quiet? I mean, in this day and age when everyone wants to put something out, Instagram, yeah. TikTok, whatever the platform is, how are you able to convince your friends and family? Shh, it's gotta be quiet. Um, I don't know. Like we went a couple weeks without like telling anyone. Cause by the time, well, by the time, like when we got the offer, it was like a few weeks and then we like kind of, it took a couple weeks to fully decide, but it was like, that was really the hardest part. I was like, all you want to do is like, you know, tell your friends and like all this stuff. Cause I'd been getting asked just from like friends and family, just curious of like, what are you going to do? Cause Harvard had, you know, been canceled and all the other schools kind of haven't. Um, so for me, that was kind of nice to have some direction for the fall, but it was really hard. I mean, once I finally decided on Friday, like the whole weekend, I was like, I was telling like my friends and family, but then at the back of my head, I was like, I really hope no one puts something online and causes this whole circus, but they were really good about it. And I'm glad nothing came out like that and everything kind of went to plan. So, um, I was pretty happy that it all went good. Who are you bouncing, you know, your questions or your thoughts off of leading up to that moment where you decide, okay, this is what I want to do with my career? Um, I have, yeah. So my dad is a big part of it. Um, he said, you know, pro hockey experience and, and obviously he's my dad. So I, I bounce everything off of him. And then, um, my agent, um, Matt Cater was in touch with Fitzy this whole process and, um, he was kind of like, you know, the middleman you know, creating everything and all that stuff. But I was also kind of talking to a lot of guys on the Harvard team. I knew Rathbone and Jury had signed and Bedini and Bowlby had also signed and a couple other guys, uh, younger guys too, that I played with and, you know, all that stuff. I was kind of bouncing, bouncing some ideas off them. Like, you know, what are you thinking? Like all these guys, we all kind of talked about this whole process because, you know, we're very close and we wanted to, you know, see what each other are doing. And, um, ultimately guys were, were really good about it. And they're like, you know, when it comes down to it, you got to kind of do what's best for you. And so that's, you know, that's what I like about those guys too. We're honest with each other. And, um, so it's kind of just bouncing ideas for all those guys and just making sure that every, this whole process wasn't rushed at all. And, and, you know, I'm glad, uh, my decision was made and, and I don't regret it at all. The, the history of Harvard, at least recently, is that a number of guys will take it to their senior year and then they kind of decide they won't sign with the team that drafted them. And I know Devils fans were concerned, oh, that might happen here. They're exceedingly happy that you decided to sign after your junior year. But was that part of the process, too? I mean, COVID's here. The season has been delayed. It may not even occur. You could maybe go another year, but it would be without hockey like can you kind of give us an idea of all the conversations that took place? Yeah. So the, the one thing we talked um, uh, with Fitzy when our season got canceled um, because, you know, to be honest, none of us really knew what was going on with this whole COVID thing. And um, so I, like I was, we kind of figured like might as well see what's going on with the NHL figured the NHL wouldn't cancel. Um, but we talked with them and, and that at that point in the spring was when, they were like, we want you to develop another year. Um, and so I was fine with that. And um, that's kind of the direction I was in for majority of the end of spring into early summer. And then once 
um, it got kind of known that Harvard was not really doing anything in the fall. And, and also too, I think when Fitzy officially got named GM, I think that's when he kind of, you know, called us and started talking like that. And, and as soon as, you know, he kind of brought, you know, the offer remotely on the table, I knew that that was going to be, um, something that, you know, flashed in front of my face. And, and I knew since, you know, my three development camps and, and just having that little experience, I knew that, you know, Jersey was definitely the place I wanted to be. And, um, you know, seeing all that stuff on Twitter of like always a goner and all this stuff, just not, I don't like follow it that much, but I knew that everyone was always curious, like, are you going to do the four and leave? And I know the fans and a lot of people don't agree with it. So I, I knew once I had the opportunity to kind of get the right deal and, and at the right time, I knew that it was a no brainer and, and I'm very happy to, to join the team. You know, a lot of people crave, I guess, familiarity. And a picture popped up yesterday, I guess it was, of you to mm-hmm. Fitzy's side uh, yeah. when Fitzy was a player. So take me back to what that was, where you were, and what your past relationship with the Devils GM is. Yeah, so my it all it starts before I was born. My dad and Fitzy played um, in the Islanders AHL team. Um, and I believe they were roommates, as he said, so they knew each other. They're both mass guys they are about the same age. So I knew they knew each other probably before that, but they ultimately played pro hockey together. And so when Fitzy was playing, I believe that time he was playing for Pittsburgh. Um, when he would play, a lot of his buddies were still around the NHL when we were a lot younger. So we'd go in to the garden at Boston garden um, cause I was uh, the closest rink and we'd go in for pregame skate. So they were always walking around and guys wouldn't skate or they would. And we kind of get the locker room pass almost. So for that picture was Fitzy was playing for Pittsburgh and I actually have his old stick somewhere in my room uh, <laughs> at, at, in New Hampshire of him. He gave me one and signed it. Um, but that picture is me and my brother. Um, I can't, I don't even know. My mom would know how old I was, but obviously I wasn't old at all. Um, and so that's where that picture came from. And, um, that whole time that, that young phase as a kid, I would always go to the pregame skates and I met, you know, Ovechkin cross all these guys. It was crazy. I always got these autographs, but that picture was, I believe he played for Pittsburgh, um, when that picture was taken. So a little crazy to think that like how it all comes for full circle, that your name and his name are on your first NHL contract. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy. The hockey world specifically how small it is. Guys always find a way to know each other somehow. Um, and it's coming full circle with one of my dad's old roommates and, and now he's a general manager. So it's crazy. Is the stick wooden or is it composite? Was Fitzy still back in the wooden age? <laughs> no, it was composite. It's this really old Reebok stick that uh, I'd never even seen before. Um, but no, it was it was uh, it was composite. No wooden, no one twigs at that time. <laughs> so you you have some wonderful memories from an early age about this sport, and in many ways, I mean, not only as a player but being around it in that capacity, you grew up in it. What are some of the cool memories? I mean, Ovechkin. You know, you mentioned some of the sights you saw. What what's the coolest memory or one that's really seared in your mind? Uh, I don't know, like. I, but all it's got to start with those when I went to all those pregame skates. Um, I meeting Crosby um, was big. Like obviously, 
he's said the kid like any chance you get to meet him it's crazy and and the one thing stood out for me with with Ovi was he had these like baby blue crocs on and like just tight spandex and he was just walking around like taping like a hundred sticks and I was just like how I've never seen that many hockey sticks in my life and um we ended up getting a stick from him signed so that's one of my prized possessions up in my room and um Crosby was the nicest guy ever just like asking like what position we all played and and how season's going and stuff like that so like just seeing like guys at the top of the NHL like care so much about like fans that they honestly never seen before is something that you know added to the list of how badly I wanted to keep going and how nice everybody was and um I met Chara too and like he had to like duck to walk around down there <laughs> like his head was too tall for the the ceiling and so like just guys like that that you kind of idolize as a kid and um it just kind of all blends together when just how long ago it was but all those sticks and stuff it's it's crazy I've heard you say before in some interviews how when you were growing up, you really liked to watch the, uh, you know, on your computer, Bobby Orr, you know, growing yeah. up, especially in that era. So, yes, you can idolize a guy like Bobby Orr, but when you're someone like my age or your age, you know, that's way, well, not way before, but that's pretty much before we were really. Hey, hey, so I, hey, I know I didn't easy include you with that. that. Easy with that. <laughs> but so if Bobby Orr was someone you looked up to, who, that you watched with your own eyes was someone that you looked up to or wanted to frame your game around or just really enjoyed watching? Yeah. So I I have like, I have a few, but I mean, Eric Carlson was kind of on the up and coming when I was watching, um, when he was on Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Um, just my dad kind of at this time, like kind of knew my style of play almost before I did. So he would always point out when we'd watch either college hockey or pro hockey, like a D or two on each team, like watch this guy, watch this guy. I really didn't know at the time what he was even really talking about. I wanted to watch the forwards to be honest with you, but, um, Eric Carlson at the beginning, um, trying to think, uh, I mean, all the big guys like Drew Doughty when they're all coming in the right shot guys, but, I mean, I couldn't help but watch like guys like Stamkos. I was obsessed with Stamkos, Tyler Sagan when he was on the Bruins for a year, but just those, those big name kind of superstars. But I always got back to, to Eric Carlson being kind of an offensive right shot. Um, and now guys like Kale McCarr who are, you know, a year older than me doing the same kind of stuff is kind of crazy. But um, I try to watch those kind of, you know, five ten to six foot right shot guys that kind of get up and down the ice. Um, I try to watch them as much as I can when I, when now when I'm watching hockey. What was it about the forwards just that you wanted to figure out what their secrets were and how to stop them? Or was there something about the forwards that drew your attention? Yeah. I mean, I guess when I've, I played both positions, so it wasn't until, I mean, technically I didn't really play defense full time until like my junior senior year of high school um, because the way our team, we did like different systems. We did like a two, like we did all this other stuff so I could play both. And I always kind of did whatever coaches want, but I always ended up playing D just cause there was always, to be honest, less players on defense. So I would always kind of get to go like every other shift in youth hockey. Um, but I didn't realize at the time, like I liked having it behind the play to see up ice and all that stuff. But 
the forwards, I just like the creativity aspect. Like you didn't see when I was younger, like guys like Eric Carlson, he was kind of coming in the league. So it was a lot of times D would just kind of move it up or chip it out. It was pretty simple then. And the forwards were making the plays and doing the cool moves and stuff like that. So I would always end up watching like, you know, highlight real goals on YouTube and stuff like that. But I never really watched like, you know, defense making breakout passes because who, which kid would want to kind of do that? You know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I just saw this great breakout pad, yeah. right? Yeah. That's <laughs> it's not going not, to, not going to get a lot of thumbs up on that. It doesn't have the same allure to no, it. No, <laughs> no. Understand that uh, entirely. So how cool is it to think that as soon as this year, although maybe you'll need some time in the AHL, I'm sure you discussed that uh, with Tom, but that you're going to be out there against these guys. I mean, I don't know how much longer Char is going to play. I think he'll play forever, but yeah. Stamkos will be there. Sagan will be there. I mean, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously in the in the back burner. I know that, like, that's obviously a, a possibility and, and a dream to be there. I, I think, like, everything is already so surreal as it is just, you know, signing with, with New Jersey that, like, I haven't even remotely thought about it until – uh, Subban commented on my Instagram and followed me. I think that was like the coolest thing that's probably ever happened to me. So, uh, that was like the first, like almost like welcome to the league type thing, even though I'm not even on the team. So I, I can't even imagine what's going to be like, you know, hopefully uh, a soon first NHL game when, um, I'm looking around even in the locker room, you know, guys that, you know, I watched on TV on the devils, but guys in the other league, just that like you, put on your fantasy team last year and now I'm playing against you. It's, it's a crazy thing. What was it like to be coached by your dad? This is something I've always wondered. Like, how does that relate? Like, does the dad relationship completely go away when you're on the ice? What is that experience like? It's so weird. It's, it's like hard to explain. Cause when I like high school, like I'm obviously, you know, a lot more immature and I'm kind of figuring it out. Um, and so for him, I personally had a tough time distinguishing like when to be like when he's my dad and when he's like a coach. And like, sometimes obviously there's a big diff, like different yeah. respect when you, when you're dealing with that. So sometimes I would, you know, not understand when the time is to be respectful as a coach. And sometimes, and that's what I learned. It took me, you know, a couple of years, but finishing up junior year and then finally senior year, we were kind of on the same page there. Um, so the beginning was like, was, was kind of hard. And, um, you know, obviously we had a good relationship, you know, father, son, but at times we kind of butt heads just because, um, I'm pretty like at when I'm like with my dad, I'm pretty vocal on like giving him feedback. And at times, like I would just kind of pick the wrong spots and like almost do it in like, you know, a public setting where he's, he's the coach, like he's runs the team. So that was something that I kind of struggled with, um, in the beginning and then kind of looking back on it, it was, I'm really glad it happened because it taught me a lot about maturity. And, and even if you have, you know, uh, a friend or someone coaching, like to, to distinguish when to be respectful and when not is, is huge. And, um, so everything kind of fell into place. And by my senior year, everything was, you know, good. And I knew how to handle it. And, um, you know, we had good leadership on that team and, um, so that was a lot of fun and, and it all made it worth it my senior year, kind of putting it all together and, and not going to play a full year at junior. So I'm definitely glad it ended up being pretty fun. 
great insight. Uh, and, and Amanda, a great topic. I would think that it's also something that we could pursue with the dads because they go through a process where they're coaching their son. They're trying to be a dad. They're trying to be a coach. Am I being too hard on my son or daughter, as the case may be, because I don't want to show favoritism? Um, it is an interesting dynamic, um, and there's no question it's worth exploring uh, in a little more detail, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, Riley, do you still caddy? Um, I don't. I I was going to this summer, but... Um, they kind of closed like all the, there was no caddying for a really long time because of COVID. So by the time they kind of opened it up, I was kind of a part-time guy um, just because I was, you know, during the week I was doing hockey and I usually only did tournaments and stuff because it was actually easier because you knew how much you're, you're getting paid a good amount and you had a loop, like um, you knew you had your group for the whole weekend, but they kind of filled up with like their, you know, 20 guys that have been working there for, you know, years and they know a lot more about golf than I do, especially that course. So I ended up not caddying this year. And so that's, uh, now that, you know, I signed, I, that job's kind of over with, but you know, maybe I'll, and maybe I'll end up playing golf there, you know, in the future. But, um, I definitely love that. I would recommend that to any younger kid that has a, access to a golf course to be a caddy i think you make a lot of good friends and the uh the networking too that people don't realize is is a lot there's a lot of you know good money moving in through a golf course so it's nice to put your name in some some jobs and stuff for the future too so it's a it's a good experience it's rewarding in so very many ways you're right what did you take out of being a caddy I don't know. There's a lot. I mean, obviously golf etiquette, um, it taught me a lot about taking care of the course and and the respect it kind of goes is when you're out there by yourself or like, you know, if you're playing, you know, take care of your divots and all this stuff. And, um, you know, reading greens too, that helps, you know, just my game too, a little bit. I I know I need the putting work, but as a whole, I thought, you know, just being responsible about going in, like it was my first real job. So showing up on time, or even a little bit earlier because the guys who signed in first would get, you know, the, the quicker, uh, quicker groups. Um, and so we had to be clean shaven. So all that stuff that's like business like, and then it just kind of came into like people skills, like having a conversation, um, you know, raking greens and all that stuff is, you know, physical work, but you know, are you going to be able to have a conversation with a group of guys and you know, they're, they're just out there trying to have fun and, you know, reading situations and all that stuff. It's, it's good people skills and, um, something that, you know, a lot of kids should, should get used to as when they're growing up. And if any of our listeners who play the game, haven't had the chance to play with the caddy, I would recommend it for a lot of reasons, but I would say this, the first time you play with a caddy, you're probably really nervous because you think the caddy has probably seen nothing but Tiger Woods, Brooks Kepka, that type of player. And in reality, they have seen every personality and every shot, good and bad. They don't care. They just want you to enjoy the 18 holes. Give me the worst shot though. You ever saw somebody make while you were caddying. The see caddying is it's tough. Like if, if a guy, if you caddy for, you know, an elderly person, they usually just hit it low and short, but it's straight. And if it's goes sideways, it's not deep, but I mean, some guys, you know, like, you know, I've done it plenty of times with the driver. When you just try to swing out of your shoes, it just goes a thousand yards in the woods. And then like 
some guys like look at you like you know where to go and like they want <laughs> it to went way fight. over there pal it's like <laughs> at what point do like i'm like dude i i can't even remotely see where it went and that's hardest part too because like if it lands short in the woods but like there's a like a cloud or something and i lose track of it like for a second i have no idea where it goes so that's like the most i get a lot of anxiety sometimes just like because you know this guy's like and a lot of times I'm in the tournament, so they, they care. They need the their balls to be found. So this whole thing is – but, I mean, there's been a lot. I mean, just crushing it into the woods is always like, oh, you just, like, put your head down and you're like, now I got to go walk around in the woods for <laughs> minutes. But it's the best when they just hit it straight on the – like, when guys just hit the fairway, you're just, like, deep breath because it's super easy to caddy when they hit the fairway off the tee. Like, it's just like in golf. Like if you could just get it on the fairway in the tee, there's only so much more it could go down south, but obviously there, it, it still would if that's just golf, but yeah. 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 Gotta love the golf talk, Maddie. You always, always. bring it around. Always. always bring it around. You know, we it's obvious about- by the way, he's caddied with people who play like I do. <laughs> not as often in the fairway necessarily, Riley, a little bit, uh, where did that go? Uh, yeah. deep in the woods? No. So it's, we've uh, talked about dad, but I want to know about mom because I know she's been proud, very proud of you that you went to Harvard, but is she more proud that you went to Harvard or more proud that you've signed your first NHL contract? I think for right now, because I haven't graduated yet, I think, <laughs> Signing wins, but until I get that degree, um, which I will soon, um, I think that's going to win for sure. Um, she's always been the the rock um, with, you know, the boys all doing hockey stuff. She really doesn't know much about, like, she knows just because she's been around it, but she's not, like, a super fan. Um, she's just there driving. Do it. Like, she was a big, like, tutor almost. She'd help us with the homework and – and she, she's big scheduler. So she would make sure we're all in the right spots. If we didn't have her, we'd be a mess. Um, I mean, my brother and I, and my dad are kind of, you know, me, I, I kind of take after her a little bit more than my dad and my brother on like kind of being on time and like that, but she does an amazing job with scheduling and, and that's part of her work too, is she kind of schedules the whole athletics for Proctor. Um, okay. so she's always, kind of everything to a T. So she's always been dialed in like that. But I think once I get the degree from Harvard and I think that's going to win, but for, for the next, you know, year or two or whenever, how long it takes to, to finish, I think um, devils will, t- will take the cake. How do you plan on finishing your degree? And is that something that you talked about going into signing this contract is whether you wanted to and how you can accomplish that? Yeah. So obviously I had planned, you know, on a potential leaving after junior year since yeah. I went into school, um, just kind of just in case almost. So I've been taking extra classes throughout the, throughout my three years. And so I've gotten pretty, I gotten ahead. I'm not like that much. Ahead. I only have six classes left, so you Great. can take, you can take two every summer. So I'm trying to figure out if I can, you know, I don't want to do a full course load in the fall, just you know, when camp starts and I don't want to have exams, like when I'm trying to try out for the team and all that stuff. But, um, I, I'm thinking of, there's a way I might be able to take just two and still be all right. But if that doesn't end up working, 
um, I'll just do, you know, three summers worth of classes. And I know that there's going to be a lot of guys now from Harvard at summer school. So true. Yeah. We'll all be living together in Boston and I think it'll be a lot of fun too. So, um, I'll be doing that. Um, so I'll get it within three years, I guess. So that's the plan. And I knew that I, that was a big thing too. And that's what we kind of all agreed on was I'd still be able to graduate and, um, I, I will be able to, as long as everything goes, fingers crossed, everything goes well, but of course. <laughs> in, in summers I'll be back at school. So it'll be nice. What will you graduate with? What degree? Uh, sociology. Um, I didn't do any minors or anything like that. I was curious. I, I've taken some good psych classes, but I never did enough to get the, the, the secondary or we, it's a same thing. We kind of call it secondary, but um, just a sociology, you know, undergrad degree. So pretty, pretty basic, but, um, excited to get that done too, but obviously that's got a little ways to go. And good luck to you in that. I'll, I'll leave it, uh, with this. There's so much unknown about what the future holds, right? Um, so how do you prepare for a season and what are the next few months like as you try to do that? We're hopeful that, and the bubble has been great for the NHL. So hopefully, you know, middle of November, there's camp and December 1st, we start things. But how do you prepare for something that's not quite as solid as it would be under normal circumstances? Yeah, I mean, this whole quarantine has been kind of crazy. And you kind of learn a lot about yourself and all this stuff. But for me, like once, you know, rinks and gyms opened up, it's been uh, pretty good. I mean, I at least get to do that. And I haven't been, I mean, I've been skating a few times a week. But nothing crazy. And I kind of caught myself going a little overboard at the, in the middle of summer. And I like, was like, I'm not going to be like doing camp till November. So like whenever happens, I'll still have, you know, months to prepare. So then I kind of laid back on that, but I've, uh, I've been hitting, you know, the off ice pretty hard and that's, you know, something that I've been needing to improve on just, you know, physically getting stronger and faster preparing for the, for the pros. But um, basically, I mean, this whole signing with the devil's thing kind of puts another spark into me. I think that alone will, you know, carry me through and, and being in a new place. And, um, I will, I don't think I'll have any troubles with, with kind of getting through the fall. And I'm actually very excited to kind of get started there, but, um, I know it's been, it's been nice to be down here. A lot of stuff is, I mean, we have the boat and, and the beach and so you can kind of at least have some normal stuff there. So that kind of helps with that and playing some golf too, but anything to kind of keep your mind off, like the whole length of this thing. I knew I catch myself being like, Oh, we only got a couple more weeks of this and then it'd be like two months. So it's, it's that one thing is you can't, you can't look at it from, from like a, when it's going to end, you kind of just got to take every day, you know, into it. But uh, I think this whole process is kind of, you know, sparked me to be very excited and, and I am. So it's, uh, I'm very, very much excited to to join this whole thing. Sage advice that any listener could put to good use. Riley, thanks very much for your time. Congratulations on signing the contract. We look forward to seeing you in a pro camp. We did get to know you a little bit in some of the summertime stuff, but uh, it's a new world now and we welcome you to the Devil's family and we appreciate your thoughts. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, it's been a blast. Thanks for having me. Hey, Devils fans, On the Line is a weekly auction series featuring unique Prudential Center and Devils items. 
Proceeds from the On the Line weekly auction series will benefit the Devil's Care Foundation to help support its goal of providing life-changing opportunities for young people who live and play in New Jersey's most challenged neighborhoods. With a focus on community outreach, food assistance, and educational development. To bid on this week's item, visit NewJerseyDevils.com slash on the line. So thanks to Riley Walsh for joining us. And uh, I love some of his stories as uh, he joined us from the Cape. Yeah, the Cape is a nice place to join from. Um, you know what What I really found interesting and what I really appreciated is that he acknowledged that he knew the type of, you know, um, storylines that were around him that, you know, will he play his senior year and does that mean he's going to become a free agent? You know, it, it just speaks to a new generation of talent coming up where they're really astute to what's going on and they're not necessarily like, oh no, I don't read the newspaper. Or, I mean, they don't even look at newspapers at this point, but you know, <laughs> I, uh, I don't look at the news. He said, you know, I knew, I knew what the expectations were. I knew what people were thinking, but I went about it my own way. A third round pick in 2017, Riley Walsh. And now we turn our attention to a first round pick a year later, 17th overall in 2018, as we welcome to the show, Ty Smith. So Ty Smith, welcome to Speak of the Devils, our podcast. We're glad that you can join us from the west side of Canada. What's life like this summer for you? Uh pretty chill this summer um it's been uh it's been a lot longer of an off season than i think everybody would have liked but um i guess it's kind of been good for me to take this opportunity to kind of get a little bit of rest early on and now um lots of time to kind of work on work on my body and work on maturing so um i think it's been it's been pretty fun so i've been kind of i guess getting to skate a lot now too so uh it's a good time out here right now what's the big focus um, I think it's every year you, you obviously want to improve, um, in all areas. You have to kind of make sure you're working on everything, but, um, I think like as far as on ice goes, um, continue to work on foot speed, explosiveness and, and shooting. I think those are things that, um, I kind of need to work on. My shot's been something I've need to work on almost my whole life. So, um, I've been kind of trying to work on that as much as possible. And then um, in the gym, it's kind of the same thing, uh, foot speed, explosiveness, and then just overall strength. You know, when the season for you guys sort of came to a halt, just like it did for the rest of the world, take me through what those next few weeks were like, what, where you were, what you were doing, and how you were keeping engaged because everyone is going through this process for the first time. Yeah, um, it was pretty crazy. Uh, I just remember being in Spokane and kind of hearing things about it. And then I remember we were supposed to play Portland and uh, we all showed up to the rank for morning skate and um, our coach kind of came in and told me to tell everybody to get to the room and sit down and wait. So I guess we all did that. And he talked to us and kind of just said, Portland's not coming on the, on the road today. Um, everybody get home. Uh, and then they'll let us know the next day. And then I guess we we're home for at our billets for about two days. And then he just said, yeah, everybody's going home tomorrow. Kind of pack your stuff and get ready to leave. Uh, we had to get, I guess, everyone back across the border um, playing in the States. So uh, I guess that was kind of, it was crazy. It happened all so fast. So um, kind of saying bye to everyone quick and then heading home. Uh, I drove back down to Saskatoon, 
um, spent, I don't know, about a, a month there kind of with my family, which is the longest I've been home for a while. So, um, I guess that part was good, but it kind of, kind of sucks sitting there not being able to play. So, um, I guess what it was like for me to just hang out with my family and uh, it was obviously a whirlwind. What was the best part about being home? Um, I don't know, probably just spending some time with my family. Um, like hanging out with my younger sister and brother and, and my dad, I think that was, uh, that was good for me. And, and I think they're pretty happy to have me. So, um, kind of, kind of just doing, doing nothing, I guess, at the house for a couple of days was nice. Athletes are so used to a routine. Yeah. How, how hard was it to be out of a routine? Uh, it was, it was wild. I think, I think it took like a week and then I was like texting my trainer asking like what I can do. I, I felt so strange not doing anything. So uh, he got me on a program I could be doing from home. And then I guess, and Brendan was texting, texting every day, trying to work on his dad to, to help get me down to stay with him and train with them as fast as I could. So um, I was pretty fortunate to, to get down here pretty quick and not be home for too long with, without a facility to work with. And Brendan, of course, is Brendan Gallagher of the Montreal Canadiens, who you've spent a couple summers now living with. I believe you're at his, are you at his home right now while he's in the bubble? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm keeping watch of the house. <laughs> King of the castle right now. <laughs> I love that. So, I mean, what was that like, you know, just going there knowing that he was heading out into the bubble and how fundamental is that relationship that you have with him when you talk about wanting to, you know, develop your NHL career? Uh, yeah, when, when I came out here, I think there was, I got out here, I was pretty fortunate. They, they let me come out pretty early. Um, and at that point there was a lot of uncertainty. So, um, he was on, I think he's the player rep for, for the Habs. So he was on all those PA calls and, um, sometimes he'd hang out with me while he's on them and I'd kind of get to listen in and, and hear what they had to say. And he, he was on them like almost daily. So, uh, at that point there was tons of uncertainty about, um, whether they're going to finish the regular season with less games or what they're going to do. So, um, kind of just hanging out with him through that was, was kind of cool. And, uh, you could see the frustration he was showing with, with all the calls he had to go on. But, um, I mean, and then, then him leaving, it was, it was pretty crazy. He just was like, yeah, I think we're leaving, but there's nothing finalized. And then he had his flights booked before everything was even final. So, um, just watching it all happen was pretty, pretty wild, I guess. But, um, yeah, as far as our relationship goes, he's, um, he's been, he's been great for me. I think this is maybe my like third summer, like two and a half summers, I guess that I've, um, I've been staying with him and, uh, I guess it's, it's been really good for me to see kind of how, how he manages, um, his summer and, and how hard he still works now. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, him, him being kind of late twenties now, um, and being obviously, a really, really established NHLer. Um, he still works just as hard or harder than anybody. So seeing that work ethic and, and the way he treats his body and carries himself, I think is something that I can really learn from. Amanda wrote a story for the website about a year ago on the relationship between you and Brendan. How did it begin? Like, how did you guys connect? Um, it would have started, I think, 
so I went to his, his dad runs the Delta hockey Academy here and out, out in Van, I guess. And, uh, my second year Bantam, um, I guess we're represented by the same, um, same player agent and, uh, Jerry thought it'd be a good idea for, for me to come down and check out this school for my, for my second year Bantam. So, um, I did end up liking it. So I played out here and Ian, uh, Brendan's dad was, uh, was really good to me that year. And we kind of developed a pretty good relationship through that. Um, and then obviously I like the way he trains guys and they have a great group out here of guys that train and skate. Um, so I decided to come back out here. Um, once I started playing in the Western league, uh, I think after my 16 year old year to spend my summers, cause I guess we all kind of thought that'd be um, the best thing for me in regards to developing as a player. And I was living with, uh, my billets that billeted me in Delta. Um, and they moved to Merritt about halfway through that summer. So, um, I guess I kind of wasn't sure what I was going to do. And Brendan kind of just extended um, an invitation for me to come live with him for the remainder of that summer. And then kind of we'll figure it out from there on. But um, and you never left. <laughs> yeah. And then he just. <laughs> the house guest who never, <laughs> ever left. <laughs> yeah. We hit it off. And then he, uh, he just asked me to come back and he said, I'm, I'm welcome here any summer. So, um, it's been a, it's been a good relationship to this point. Is there a room in the house that you you go into now that you're not allowed to like when, when Brendan's around, <laughs> is he protective of a room? Like, you know, you get free reign of the house now. Um, I mean, the only room in the house that I never go into is his room. And, um, I've still never been in there. I think I had to grab some toilet paper out of there one time. So that's the only time I've, I've really been in that room. Very weird that he keeps toilet paper in his room, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you had a tiptoe for the TP. Okay. So, <laughs> but you know what, you, as you were detailing that story, it made me think, and I'm always fascinated by the development of young hockey players in Canada. Uh, I know the junior system and you bill it and you, but you, when was the last time you spent, other than this month recently, like when was the last time you laid your head on your own pillow in your own home on a regular basis? Uh, 15, 14? I, I did play, I played at the age of 14, I played away from home for a year. And then when I turned 15, I played my last year of minor hockey in, in Lloydminster. So I was, that would have been the last year when I was 15. Uh, and now then when I turned 16 and started playing in the Western League, my family moved to Saskatoon and kind of figured um, I won't really be home. So I don't even have a room at my house, at my dad's house now. So, so there's not even a pillow or a bed to lay my head in right now. <laughs> if you could for our listeners, it's amazing. I mean, that, that experience, knowing that's what many kids, most kids, almost every kid, who wants to attain what you have had, which is being drafted and continuing her, have to go through the same thing. But can you just kind of tell us what it's like when you say goodbye and you don't really look back? Um, yeah, for me, it kind of happened, uh, I guess, pretty quick. I was planning on playing my second year of Bantam. So I guess my 14-year-old year, year um, at home, and then there's kind of this opportunity and um, – better coaching, better training out here. So it was kind of all really sudden. Like, I think I was the last guy to join that team. They only had one spot left when, when I did. So, um, 
I think it probably happened within like a week or two. We're thinking of staying home for the year and then kind of just changed just like that. So uh, I think for me, it was, I was excited. I, I knew this, that would be a great opportunity for me to mature at a young age and, and develop as a player in person. But um, I think it was probably the hardest on my sister, I, I guess. And she was, I was 14, so she would have been nine. So, and we were uh, pretty close. So I think she was uh, pretty upset about that. And she had a tough year with me away from the house. So um, I think just saying goodbye probably to my younger sister is probably the toughest. And obviously my dad loves having me around. So it's uh, it's tough to say bye to him too. But um, I think we're all kind of on the same page as far as what's best for me. So uh, they're pretty, pretty good with it. Your dad's been very instrumental in your development. Can you talk about that relationship a little bit? Uh, yeah, starting, I guess, back from when I first started skating, he, he had me on skates. I think I was two. He'd take me out out to the outdoor rinks in Lloydminster and uh, help teach me to skate, I guess. so. Did you do the um, chair thing for a little bit? Uh, Push the chair around until you kind of figured it out? The way he tells it is he helped me for the first day and then the next day, like I just took off and was fine. So that's the way he tells it. He says that uh, he was, I was a pretty easy guy to teach, I guess, in, in that regard. So, um, but yeah, I think all those days that he spent with me uh, on the outdoor ranks, all the road trips and things like that. Um, he, he was my coach lots growing up uh, at a young, younger age. And um, he'd help me work out when I was younger, sit ups and push ups at the house and stick handle and shoot in the garage. So, um, I mean, all those things as far as um, my body, nutrition, um, on ice ability, I think that's something that uh, I guess I owe a lot of credit to um, to my dad, at, I guess, at a young age. Um, he helped me out with that a ton. And then hockey sense, too. Um, he kind of taught me, I don't know, I would have been probably eight or nine. And he was already teaching me when I watch games, that not just to watch the puck all the time, to sit down and pick a defenseman that um, I guess I want to play like or have a similar style to um, and kind of watch him whenever he's on the ice and learn from him. So I think watching him, um, like ISO camming him, I guess it would help me with my hockey sense growing up. So um, as far as that goes, I think he helped me a ton. And then obviously he's a, he's a great person and, and a great guy around the community. So um, I think he's also kind of helped me in that regard. Who were some of those players that you zeroed in on when you were watching with your dad? Um, I mean, when I was younger, it would have been like guys like Niedermeyer and Lidstrom um, would have been probably two guys that were unbelievable to watch. And then uh, that was at a young, young age. But um, kind of, I guess when Drew Doughty came into the league, he was, he was a fun, fun guy to watch. I'd love watching LA um, as soon as he came in, but. Uh, another guy that I kind of watched almost all the way through would be Duncan Keith. He's uh, he still looks good out there in the playoffs, even though he's uh, 37. So it's uh, it's pretty cool to, to watch those guys, and I've been pretty fortunate to learn from those guys. Well, I'm glad I'm under 37, the way you said. <laughs> no, he's 37. <laughs> I'm glad I made that cut. Um, <laughs> my question to you, though, like to follow up on that is, as a defenseman, do you sometimes like zero in on what the forwards are doing to sort of understand the game from their perspective, what you're watching? 
Um, I've, I've actually been doing that a little more lately, kind of just watching right now. I'm kind of getting ready to uh, make the jump to pro hockey, uh, whatever team that is, that is with, but um, just watching these guys in the playoffs, I've kind of been trying to watch how defensemen handle certain things forwards do. So I think it's, uh, it's been good for me to watch and learn from. So let's jump and talk about the next step for you. Pro hockey is in your future, as you said, not sure yet where that might be. And let's face it, we're not sure what the circumstances will be. Uh, we're still trying to figure that out, but the league has done a great job with the return to play and the bubble. So two times you come to camp with the Devils, year one, brilliant, just missed making the team. Year two, not as good. You don't make the team. You have to go back to juniors because of the way the rules are written. So what's the approach this year about making the big club and how you go about doing that? Um, honestly, right now, I think it's just trying to learn when I watch guys play right now, um, learn as much as I can. Uh, also, I guess but you must have learned things in the two years that you spent with the Devils as well, right? For sure, yeah. So I think just trying to feel good. Um, kind of going into my first camp, I felt great all summer long. I had no issues. And then, um, my second year, I kind of had some, some hurdles to get over throughout the summer. And, um, I didn't like, I didn't get skate as much as I had liked to. And, um, I guess things like that. So I, I think it's just having a, a refreshed summer, I guess it, it's, it's going to be good for me, I think. So, um, but I think as far as when I get there, it's just, um, playing my game, but obviously at the same time being coachable, but I mean, have fun and, and work hard. So see how it goes. I guess it's, uh, nothing you can really worry about. It's just whenever you get the chance to play, uh, play your best. Did, did you put too much pressure on yourself last year in camp off of what you had accomplished that first year being that close? And I know there were some injuries and setbacks that you talked about. So you didn't come in necessarily exactly where you wanted, but we were also fighting it a little bit. I, I, I got to show them, uh, you know, what I did last year, I can do that again and maybe make this team. Um, I mean, I think the expectation um, for myself, whenever, whenever I go to any camp, um, is to make the team, whether that was my first year or my second year. I, you go there to make the team. That's why everyone's there. Um, obviously, some guys have better chances than others, but um, it happens very often where guys that, that aren't supposed to play play. So um, that was, that's obviously my expectation. But um, I think as far as just it went for everybody, I think the expectation, um, I guess, from – from everyone else was for me to make the team too. So um, I wouldn't say I put too much pressure on myself. Um, I, I definitely feel I could have, could have played better during that time. But um, I think that that year in junior um, was really good for me to, to mature as a player and, and work on lots of things that needed worked on. So um, I think it was a bit of a blessing in disguise and I was pretty fortunate to get to go back and participate in the world juniors again. And, and uh, get a chance to win that too. So I think I think at the end of the day, it was uh, it was a good thing, as as tough as it was, not making it. You brought it up, and as a Canadian myself, I was very excited that the gold medal came home. But what was that experience like? Because you were on the team the year prior, 
obviously a very disappointing finish. I believe it was six. And then you come back and you're able to bring home that gold. As someone who was born and raised Canadian like you, I know how much that tournament means to this country. Um, Do you feel that at such a young age, just how much that tournament means to people here? Yeah, I mean... And what were the two different things like, right? When you come home with six versus the gold medal. Yeah, I mean, obviously growing up, I watched that that tournament every year, whether it was with my family or my, my minor hockey teammates and like Canada wins gold, like it's the biggest deal ever. It's like the best thing in the world. So um, I guess the fact that growing up, you get to watch that and, and kind of cheer and, and feel like the whole country is kind of behind the team. Um, yeah. you also see the years that they, that they don't win when, when there's downs and the whole country's against the team. So, um, I, I, I definitely experienced both of those things. Um, my first year was in Canada, obviously sold out, um, sold out every game in Vancouver. It was unbelievable atmosphere. Um, we had a good team and then we end up, uh, losing to Finland and, and they go on to win the tournament. Lost them in the quarters. We had, uh, penalty shot in overtime. Uh, they tied the game late in the third. Um, then broken stick uh, on a on a near empty net. Um, and then they went down to score. So I mean, we we got whatever it was sixth, but at the same time we were so close to winning it, and that was the team that ended up winning it all. So um, obviously, yeah, that, that was devastating, and uh, you you feel terrible. Um, you just feel like a bit of a disappointment, I guess, playing on, on that team that has high expectations and that's to win gold, I guess, every mm-hmm. year. But um, the second year around, uh, we had a couple of guys um, kind of play both years. And uh, we definitely were pretty hungry to, to win our second year around. But um, we, we obviously had a great team, uh, tons of great players, really good guys. I think we, we connected really well. Um, and there are guys like, I mean, checking their egos, it was unbelievable to, to see. Um, everybody was so bought in. So um, being able to win and kind of come back, obviously it was overseas, so it was a little different. Um, the rink was still full of Canadian jerseys and fans. Um, every time we played, I remember walking in for our first game. I think Russia was playing Czech, and Czech was the home team. And three-quarters of the rink was Canadian fans. So um, I, I was pretty shocked to see that, and it was we we had great support overseas. So um, being able to win it and, and come home, home with the gold medal was pretty unbelievable. What can that experience of understanding what that, you know, disappointment was and then how exciting it was to win it. What can that do for you in terms of lessons learned, um, you know, going forward in your career and not, not just internationally. I just mean, as you Ty Smith. Um, yeah. I mean, I think kind of it just shows you like how close competition is. Obviously, the NHL every team's good, every player is good. So um, as far as that goes, it'll just it kind of just showed me that you can be inches away and, and come sixth, and yeah. you can also like the game we got pumped against Russia six nothing. Played them again in the final, and we end up winning because the puck hit the PSN camera. So. I mean, right. You're right. <laughs> you can be Russia can say the same thing. They're inches away from winning it. I mean, that's how close the competition is, and that's how 
small, um, I guess, the room for error is. So I think that's probably a pretty big lesson that I learned. Where's the medal? Uh, it's actually at home in Saskatoon. So I don't, I don't have it with me. It's at my dad's place. Because they just Brendan have it in his. (laughs) 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 Is it, is it, uh, is it in a case or is it just kind of in a drawer? Uh, I think it's might be hanging up somewhere. It should. Uh, I I think it's hanging up somewhere in the house. I'm not too sure what my dad does. It, it, It should. Um, Kevin Ball, uh, was a teammate of yours on that gold medal winning team. He is, a devil's uh, prospect. Tell us a little bit about him. Yeah. Baller's a, he's a good guy. Uh, he's, he's pretty funny to hang around, but, um, obviously you guys see him as a player. He's, he's massive. Like I, it's unbelievable how big he is. Uh, and he, he moves really well, especially for being that size. He moves really well in general. And then he's that big. So, um, Having a guy that can be that big as a defenseman and, and move that well, I think it's it's pretty pretty good, uh, pretty good combination. I mean, he's he's pretty uh, physical out there too. So, um, I mean, having a guy like that on your team is is always nice. Did you get a chance, or do you guys talk at all about being in the same system? He, of course, was drafted by Arizona, but came over as part of the Taylor Hall deal. Do you guys? talk at all did you talk then like hey you know this is our focus now but who knows what the next couple of years holds yeah I mean I think he got traded when we were there we were in I think Vienna for like our little retreat before the tournament and and baller we all woke up and saw it and everyone's like holy man like this is crazy and he's like wow that's like I never thought I'd get traded especially this early so um, that was the first time I think he's been traded maybe. So um, after it all settled down, he was pretty excited. He's, you know, some guys I think in, in uh, New Jersey, I guess, or the system. So um, I think he's really looking forward to it. And I think we kind of briefly talked how it'll be fun seeing each other at camp and, and wherever the rest takes us. I was going to say, what was the first question he may have asked you about New Jersey from your experience? <laughs> Uh, he just asked if it was what, what I think of it and what it's like there. And obviously, um, I've nothing but good things to say. And then he asked about the rink and things like that. And that's obviously a, a beautiful arena. So, um, he was, he sounded pretty excited with, uh, after my responses, I guess. And I know the fans are excited about what he might bring to the table. So how about you? What do you do for fun? Uh, I mean, this summer's a pretty pretty focused one, but um, my mornings are kind of work out, skate, and then kind of come home in the afternoon. Um, I guess I normally go for dog round of golf. Brendan lives on a course here, so um, I like How's to the game. Look, uh, it's not bad. Couldn't play at all at all last summer with uh, with my injuries, but. Um, this summer, it's it's good to kind of get back into it a little bit. So uh, I shot 77 my last round. So I'm starting to feel a little better out there. But there's also those those rounds where I'm, I'm barely under 92. So well, it, I'm pretty inconsistent. But I think oh, it's like golf. Most, most of it, us. Yeah. yeah, it's golf. It's just you, you can't figure it out. You know, you have an unbelievable hole and then the next 
pole. You can't even understand what that club is doing in your hand. You can't figure it out. <laughs> Seems like you For figured sure. it out out pretty well. So, all right. So, golf. What else? Um, I mean, do you watch? Brennan's do you around. binge watch? Do you? What do you do? <laughs> um, when Brennan's around, we play lots of crib every night. Cribbage is is kind of our go to. Uh, but for like probably an hour before dinner, uh, we said and do that. And then, uh, I mean, I, I don't binge watch too much. I, I kind of ran out of things to watch. So I watched a couple shows, um, I guess throughout quarantine, but I mean, not too much kind of hang out with friends and golf normally right now. I watch lots of hockey too. So I'm, I played a decent amount of video games in, uh, when I was at home in Saskatoon, but when I came out here, I haven't really, haven't touched the Xbox very much. So I'm kind of just hanging out. What, what, what game are you best at on the Xbox? What's your like go-to when you know you need to beat someone? Um, I, uh, probably NHL. I played that a ton growing up. So that's kind of, I, I don't think I lose very often at that, but. And, and you and Brendan, sorry, Maddie, I, oh, no. uh, um, you and Brendan are very competitive. Are you not? I mean, you talk about playing crib. I've talked to Brendan about this too. You guys like have your like weird internal competitions with each other. Don't you? Oh, it's insane. It's, it, we're always competing for something. So we'll, we'll play crib and ping pong and we'll finish our like best of seven of ping pong. And it'll be like, we'll be completely and sweat and have to go shower and there'll be like an argument at some point throughout or, or two or three and um crib there's just a lot of bickering i guess going back and forth but um we also kind of we're competitive with like weird things like we'll like be driving and it'll be like flip a coin this many times and see if you can get it and we're like he's like yes no surprise i won like obviously i'm gonna beat you like i always beat you and whatever so he's competitive at, at everything. So I think it's good for me to always be competing, but that's kind of in my nature. I always like to like to win. So, um, I mean, being around him, we kind of butt heads once in a while, but um, on the ice is probably the worst. We, we go at it a lot. The cribbage thing, I have to ask, because it's not every day you hear like, oh yeah, like an hour before dinner, we sit down and play some cribbage. Are you sure you're 20 and you're not 60? Come on. So like, my question is, is like, did you teach him? Did he teach you? Or did you just both so happen to know the game of cribbage? Like, I need to understand this dynamic. We we actually both learned from our grandpas. So um, I think I learned when I was maybe 11 or 12 and him the same thing. So um, we both play when we're with our grandparents all the time and uh, with our dads once in a while. But I think we both just like playing a lot and it's something we can, we can kind of do every night. Uh, we go to, we go to his parents' house for dinner. Uh, they, they cook us dinner. So we have a pretty good setup with, with that. They like having us around. So we go and do that. So we get there about an hour before dinner and sit down in the, in the kitchen and kind of visit with his family and play our best of three, a crib or whatever it is. So it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun for us. So, so will you, you know, when you eventually make the NHL, like, will you like have that with you on the plane or perhaps taking the bus or like, I mean, is that something like teaching the guys instead of playing poker, you can choose go to the poker table or go to the cribbage table. <laughs> um, I, I did play a lot of crib and junior on the bus. Uh, there'd be four of us who'd play two on two all the time, but I mean, it kind of depends on, on the team and if guys are, guys are into that or not, but. Um, I did not know it was such a big thing. 
<laughs> I really didn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. With my teams and uh, with Brandon, we have a lot of fun with them. Well, we'll see whether or not you can bring that to the devil's table and uh, we'll see if you can convince some, find some guys who played or convince guys to play. So you said earlier, way back at the start, uh, one of the things you're working on is your shot. How does one work on one's shot? Um, I think repetition. Um, I mean, the the skills coach I skate with, uh, Yogi Svekovsky, he, uh, he's a really good skills coach and he's kind of been working with me a little bit, just getting me to try different things. Um, obviously, Tim Turk's a, a great shooting coach as well, and um, he comes down every every once in a while for a week, and I get to work with him, and then he kind of talks to Yogi about things that, um, that I should work on or the guy should work on, and Yogi kind of stays on me with those kind of things um, throughout the week when we're, we're just doing our regular skills days. So. Um, I mean, doing that and then Yogi's always taking video and things like that. So, um, I mean, I don't think it's a popular thing because it's, it's summer skates, but um, I like to go, go to him and get the, get the videos that um, I'm involved in and kind of see how I'm looking and uh, what I'd kind of like to fix. Um, I guess just in my overall game, not always my shot, but the shot's something that... Um, I'm always looking to, to try and prove for sure. Is it accuracy? Is it speed? Is it getting shot off faster? What is it? Uh, I think overall, um, I think I like to think I'm, I'm fairly, fairly accurate with it, but um, it, it also depends. So um, probably most of it would be like the power behind my shot. I think that would be the, the thing I need to work on the most. You grew up, uh, you were born in Lloydminster, right? Yeah. Now, that's a town that's basically split down the middle. Sask- uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta. Yeah. I remember speaking to Braden Holtby about this, but I'm going to have to be refreshed. So the, the city's hospital is on the, Al- on the Saskatchewan side? Yeah. But m- more people live on the Alberta side? Like, kind of... Get- <laughs> refresh uh, refresh me on this this split city yeah that's right it would be probably three quarters of the people would live on the alberta side but the hospital is on the the hospital and like the the rank that the junior a team plays in are both on the saskatchewan side but the, the junior a team plays in the alberta league but the rank's on the saskatchewan side that's not confusing at all. No. Yeah, so you kind of <laughs> just pick and choose, I guess, what side you want to be. <laughs> how did I wonder how it became that they split it down the middle? Like, why not just kind of, all right, Lloydminster is settled here. And so the border, all right, let's just move it one way or the other. It's either all in Alberta or it's all in Saskatchewan. But I, uh, what's that story all about? I don't know. It's a border city. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, yeah, all right, well, whatever. So are you a Rough Riders or a Stampeders fan? Um, I'd be a Rough Riders fan, yeah. My okay. whole family's from Saskatchewan, so that's who they all cheer for. For those who don't know, that is the CFL, uh, our, for the Canadian <laughs> Football League. But I, I'm curious, if you're on the border, I had to ask, I had to ask. Yeah, yeah there are. Another... Go ahead. No, go, no, what were you saying, 
<laughs> That's another thing Brennan and I always butt heads with. He's an Eskimos fan, Edmonton. Ah. So he's born in Sherwood Park, Alberta. So that's his team. Uh, unfortunately, it's like a no match C- made in heaven there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, no uh, no CFL this year. They just announced that uh, they're taking a pause. So uh, hopefully the league's back stronger than ever. Uh, so you were named the CHL Defenseman of the Year. Uh, there's some pretty good company there. Chris Pronger, Ryan Ellis, David Savard, uh, Thomas Shabbat, Ivan Provorov, more recently Dougie Hamilton, two-time WHL Defenseman of the Year. Uh, so when you hear names like that, and uh, only a handful have won it twice in a row in the WHL, so when you hear about names like that and some accomplishments, uh, pretty cool, huh? Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's it's definitely an honor. Um, to I guess be be selected to win that award, um, but I mean you never know. You're, there's still lots of work left to be done. So um, I kind of just see it as it is a step in the right direction. It, it was a goal of mine to to win those awards, um, but I mean still still lots of work to be done. There's guys that win that award and, and don't play in the NHL, so I have to keep working at it. Take me back to February 28th against Seattle. You're in a game. I know you're shaking your head. I mean, that's an eight-point game, a hat trick, five assists. So my question is, what is it like as a hockey player playing a game where it just seems like everything is either going in or going right for you? I mean, like, what does that feel like? And, And was it kind of unbelievable to just be part of that? Yeah, um, it was it was uh, my dad's birthday, February twenty eighth, and he's turned. It was his fiftieth. Uh, he he drove down to Spoke. Uh, he left in the morning. Um, I guess he drove. It, was, it would be about thirteen hours. He got there like kind of just in time for warm ups in the game, um, and then like kind of I was texting him throughout the day. And I said, uh, I'll try put one in for you. And then he's he laughed and he said, How about five points one night? Because I had I had one, two, three, four, and I had the seven point game in my draft year when I was seventeen. And he's like, You still haven't had a five point night in the Western League. Like you have to have one one time where you have five points. And I was like, All right, well, I'll try. And then uh I ended up having I think five after or six after two periods. And I was like, well, I didn't get five, but I haven't had six before, so that's pretty cool. And then I ended up getting a seventh one, and then uh, and I hardly played in the third period because we were winning by a good amount. And then uh, I passed to my D partner, like, just a casual pass, and he um, scored, like, the goal. Of, he's a stay-at-home. He went to New Jersey's <laughs> camp last year, Noah King. He's a big stay-at-home defenseman. Uh, he did have 40 points this year, but... He's uh, definitely a defensive defenseman, and he only had five goals, but when he got the puck, he took off. Well, he was standing there, and there's two guys on, on my side of the ice, both the wingers, and he was standing there, and I just looked at him, and I yelled, like, go. Like, what are you doing? And he, he was like a deer in the headlights standing there, and then he went in and, like, toe drug a guy and, like, went forehand, backhand, five-hole in the goalie and, like, scored this highlight real goal, and I was like, <laughs> where did that come from and he's like I want to get your eighth point <laughs> break your record so he was uh 
he was pretty pretty good about it but i mean just kind of being a part of that um it was it was a pretty cool night i'd I'd never had a hat trick before either in the western league so um getting at that that night was uh was pretty cool um it being my dad's birthday and um i guess just having that that kind of a night is pretty pretty i guess lucky Happy birthday, Dad. Hey, uh, we'll, we'll start to wrap things up here. Uh, does it seem, I know Devils fans are anxious to see you, and it seems like we've been waiting a long time because you had that brilliant camp, and then we had to follow you in junior, and then what will happen next year, you know, the next year, which was last camp, and okay, and then following you in junior. Now, here's a chance. You're going to be a pro one way or the other. Uh, hopefully, it's with the New Jersey Devils. Does it seem that it's been a long process? Like, and now it's here. Um, a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of flown by, but at the same time, it's like when you're playing junior and, um, I mean, if you play like that and talking to Wino all the time and, um, kind of him helping me all along the way and watching the devils play and, um, my buddies getting chances to play. It's kind of like, I, I get a little bit anxious, I guess, wanting to go back to camp again. Um, I think it would have been like, couple weeks into the year I was like okay I can't wait for next year when I get to go to camp again so um I mean kind of trying to stay focused on improving all the time has been what I've been trying to do but at the same time it's it's flown by but at the same time it feels a, a little bit like a long process well, it is on the cusp of happening, and we do appreciate the time you've given us. Uh, Ty Smith, looking forward to seeing you in camp when that does start, and looking forward to what you bring to the table for the New Jersey Devils. Thanks very much. Thank you. Well, it was great to hear from Ty. You know what? I love the fact that he's been with one of the most competitive guys. They're all pros, let, let's be honest, but... Brendan Gallagher just gets it. He's a bug. You hate playing against him, but he never gives up. His engine revs on high. And I didn't realize Ty Smith had been spending that much time with Brendan Gallagher and Brendan Stead. As as someone who worked, you know, covering the Montreal Canadiens for eight years, I was around for, you know, 99% of Brendan's career as he continues now. He is the – I've never seen anyone compete with the same – um, desire that Brendan Gallagher does. So this is only going to be a huge asset for someone like Ty. And keep in mind that, you know, Brendan's on the smaller size, but he plays a real big game, you know? And so those are also uh, things that he can learn. And, you know, to what I was saying at the intro of the podcast, I think you're seeing Ty just be more comfortable in mm-hmm. being himself. You know, he's very conversational. He's not as tied up in, you know, cliches, which is understandable at the start. But I think you see a real maturity and comfort with himself right now. Absolutely. And as disappointed as he was in not making a team and not being able to show what he did the year before, and yeah. we understand there were injuries and a lack of training that led to that, Boy, he put it behind him quickly had a marvelous year, the gold medal, CHL defenseman of the year. The resume gets rounded out a little bit more, and now we'll see him, and he's 20 years old. 
and eight points on his dad's birthday. And I swear I had no idea that it was his dad's birthday. Like that totally caught me off guard. I just wanted to know like, what's it like when you're on the ice and everything's going right. So I like that little tweak to the story. And we learned a little bit about Lloyd Minster, that split city (laughs) right on the border of Saskatchewan and Alberta. And that will wrap things up as always, Amanda. Pleasure to spend some time with you. You as well, Maddie. And we thank our guests, Riley Walsh and Ty Smith. And we thank you for your company on Speaking the Devils. For Amanda, I'm Matt Lachlan. So long, everybody. And we'll see you again soon.